0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, Queen of all hearts, St. Louis-Marie de Montfort. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. When we speak of Our Lady, especially in the light of these seasons of Advent and Christmas, which we are in the process of celebrating, to really have a fuller sense of the unique way she fits into the Almighty's plan of salvation, but also into the way the church marks this season it is helpful to have in the back of our mind the note of building and literally the note of construction. And Perhaps I say this because I've spent uh, much of the last couple weeks constructing nativity sets. But consider what it is at home when you put your nativity set out. You know, unless you've got one of those where all the pieces are fixed in place and you just plunk it somewhere, you have to set something up which means you have to clear a space for it. And then you have to begin laying out all the pieces and putting them together. You know, the stable needs to be assembled. The figures need to be placed. The straw needs to be laid. There's an element of placing, positioning, and even building. We just tend to do those things on a somewhat grander scale here at the Shrine. Um, We've got at least five nativity sets up and running as it is, and uh, who knows how many more we'll have set up by the end of the season. Um, You know, and then when you, then, you know, that's without even asking questions about adding lights and everything else to it. And intrinsic, intrinsic to the experience of this season is is this note of building. And we can extend that even further in terms of the way we adorn our homes, inside and outside. The furniture movement required to set up the tree. The bringing out the boxes of the ornaments and the lights. The work on the outside of the house as we do all of the decorating. And again, note the physicality of all of that and this attentiveness to the dwelling place, the attentiveness to the space within which we are living and celebrating. And while we're not exactly building houses for ourselves, there is an element of engaging the aspect of physical construction, physical adornment, physical rearrangement with a degree over these weeks that we don't typically see at any other time of the year. Now, let's be honest, we don't get ready for Easter in quite the same way. We don't get ready for anything else in quite the same way that we do over this period. And that also runs through how we pray this period and how we reflect upon this period if we have ears to listen attentively. We heard in our collect for mass today that the immaculate conception is involved in the way that the Lord prepares a worthy dwelling for his son. Note again the idea of building a house, of preparing a space. But here that space has a name, and her name is Mary. And this image now of Our Lady as a home, Our Lady as a dwelling, Our Lady in a certain sense as that building within which the Lord will make his home and abide. And lurking behind that, we begin to see that there's a rich biblical language by which the almighty prepares this moment of our lady's conception, our lady prepared to be his dwelling across centuries. And that intrinsic to this season is not that we are building a house or making a place for the Lord, but that the Lord rather is preparing a place, not just for himself, but a place, for us. And it's vitally important that we understand that because we often fall into the trap of imagining Christian life and our relationship with the Lord as something like, and I bring Jesus into my home. I bring Jesus into my family. I bring Jesus into my heart. But who's doing all the acting there? That would be me. That would be me bringing Jesus. Well, I'm already in trouble because that's the wrong order of things. The issue is where's Jesus bringing me? Um, And so it's important to catch that. And Advent is not so much about the space we prepare to the Lord, for the Lord, but how the Lord prepares a space for himself. And we now look to Our Lady to get a sense of what that means for us. We heard in our gospel reading today that the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house. There's that word again, of David. And so let's start right there. The virgin is betrothed to someone, a man named Joseph, of the house of David. And on the one hand, we're not talking about a physical building. but We're talking about something. We're talking about a family, but we're also talking about a place within which people dwell, a house. Not a physical dwelling, but that household of relations, that household of a family. And scripture has something very important to say about the house of David that relates directly to what we're celebrating and Our Lady's role in it. David, having become king, having finally conquered Jerusalem from the Jebusites and built his palace, all of his enemies have been defeated. There is peace on all sides. He is safe, he is prosperous. The kingdom is stable. And as he sits on his throne and he rests within the wealth and the luxury and the safety that his relationship with the Lord has won for him, he begins to be troubled and unsettled. And he speaks to his chief advisor, the prophet Nathan, of what is troubling his heart. And he says to Nathan, here I am in my stone and wooden palace. And I'm warm and I'm comfortable. And I have that which I like and that which I need ready to hand where I am. I dwell, I sit on a throne in a dignified place reigning as king. And the Lord is still stuck in that tent we've been using since we left Egypt, hundreds of years ago. And the contrast between his stability, his rule, his success, his comfort, his safety, his dignity in the palace of the king and the one who is greater, the Lord in his presence, in a tent. And David is troubled by this. Who am I to be in a palace? and the presence of the Lord is is in a tent. Did we maybe get this backwards? You know, should we have built something else before the palace? And so he says, he says to his prophet, that what we need to do is we need to build, we need to build a house for the Lord, a place for his presence to abide. And the prophet looks at David and says, you know, That is exactly the right idea. Of course, God's gonna bless you with that. Go, begin to do that. That is right. Let's give, let's make a worthy dwelling for the Lord. And yet that same night, the second book of Samuel, for those of you playing the home game here, um, that same night, the prophet is getting ready to rest. He's praying. And the word of the Lord comes to him and says, tell David that that is not how it's going to go. And it's interesting because now here is God saying, oh, no, you won't. Who do you think you are? David is saying, who do I think I am? I'm on the throne in my palace and God's in a tent. We should change that. And here's God saying, who do you think you are? I'm in a tent. Leave me alone. And it's a remarkable moment where the prophet now comes back to the king and says, on further review, having consulted the Lord, there's something else that's gonna happen. And the Lord says, you will not build a house for me. What What a powerful statement that is. And here's the king saying, we're going to build a house for God. It's going to be great. We're going to give it all the best. And here's God saying, no, you're not. You're not doing that for me because I haven't finished building a house for you yet. And if we're going to talk about building, the first question is, who's doing the building? And it ain't you. It's me. And so the Lord says, I have been in a tent since the days of the desert. And the 40 years of the wandering, I was content to be in a tent with my people. And as we crossed the Jordan into the promised land and began to conquer the cities, I traveled with you in a tent. And I never asked for a house of wood or stone. I was content with my tent. And as you yourself conquered the kingdom, as you yourself rose, who was it who put you on that throne? Because you didn't put yourself there. Who was it that gave you that palace because you didn't get it for yourself? That would be me. I'm the one who settled you in your comfortable house. And you're going to settle me in a house of your making? Note this dynamic here. It's not that the king is wrong. It's not that the king's intentions are bad. It's that the Lord wants to clarify something here. The one who does the real building is never you. It's me. And so the Lord says to David, this is what I'm going to do. Let's forget about what you're going to do. And let's talk about what I'm going to do. Notice how that mirrors our first reading today from Genesis, where Adam and Eve and the snake all had what they were going to do, and in the end, God says, now let me tell you how it's going to be. Let me tell you what I am going to do. And so here it is that the Lord says to David, I am going to build a house for you, and I'm not done yet. Because we're not talking about the palace of wood and stone where you find yourself. I'm talking about a house that will shelter your family across generations. And that through the ages there will be an heir of yours sitting on the throne. That is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a throne, a rule, a house that endures. And so it will be that you will not build me a house. There will be another who will come and build me a house. And again, note again how that dovetails with our reading from Genesis today. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and we're not talking about Eve, we're talking about some other woman, between your offspring and hers. And out of that movement of generations there will be one, through whom your head will be crushed and you will be vanquished. There is one who will be coming. And note again how it extends across generations. The Lord looking in a sense through families, through households, and in Genesis speaking of the household of that woman, that woman opposed to the serpent, and from that household of that woman will come one, who will crush the head of the serpent. And now the Lord speaks to David. Oh, and you'll have a son. And that son will build a house for me, but you won't. And on the one hand, the Lord is speaking of David's son, Solomon, who will build the first temple. On the one hand, the Lord is speaking of that building of wood and stone within which his presence in the ark will be housed and within which sacrifice would be offered to him on the one hand the lord is speaking about an heir that specific heir of david building a temple a house but solomon didn't rule on the throne forever and the temple of solomon was destroyed and had to be rebuilt And so that was not the house that endures across the generations, and Solomon is not the one who builds the true household of the Lord. That would be the great son of David, who is also the son of the woman. Because out of David's offspring, when there is no more kingdom of Israel, out of David's offspring when Solomon's temple has been cast down and destroyed for some 600 years. There emerges from the woman who is betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, a true son, who will be given, note what Gabriel says, the throne of David, his father. I will build you a house that lasts forever there will be one who will rule and whose rule will not be taken away. I will build you a house. And that house will be manifest through the one who is the son of the woman. Son of David. Son of Mary. Note how remarkable this is. Note how remarkable this is and as if to underscore the point of this. We all know the Christmas story, right? That's why we have the mangers. That's why we have the nativity set to remind us of the story of how all this worked. Think of this then. Our Lady, the living ark of the covenant. Our Lady, the living temple. Our Lady, the living house where the Lord is abiding among his people more perfectly than he ever did in the Ark of the Covenant or in the temple. Our Lady moves with Joseph to Bethlehem and note what happens. There is no house for them. You know, forget, you know, just pause for a minute with the idea that there's no room for the inn because that can be a smokescreen. Note, there is no house into which he's born. He is born outside, just like one who is happy to be in his tent. It is not you who establish a house for me. It is I who establish a house for you. Note how fitting this is. The same Lord who said to David, you're not building me a house where I'm going to stay, is pleased to be born outside of all earthly dwellings. Not in anybody's house. Not in the inn. Outdoors, in the open air. In the equivalent of a tent. That stable. Which is not a place for men or women to sleep or to dwell or to live. It is in the wild, it is out of doors. And so note, he comes into the world, the king without a house, who is the incarnate son of the Lord, who said, you don't build me a house. I'll do that for you. And now, note how wonderful. Note how wonderful. The newborn king, born under the starry sky, over Bethlehem, not in a house, and yet sitting on the lap of Our Lady enthroned in greater glory than David and Solomon in all their splendor ever knew. And even the filthy stable, because let's be honest, stables are not particularly neat places. Even there, David's palace was not so well adorned as this stable where the presence of the Lord is here and the sinless virgin is his throne. What king ever had so splendid a throne? What king ever had one so splendid to be near him as this king, born under the starry sky on that cold night? in Bethlehem, it is not you who build a house for me, it is me who will build a house for you. And now look what happens. And this is where the symbolism of a nativity set comes into play. Note how all the other figures in a well-made nativity set are not shown standing still, they're sculpted as if they're walking as if they're in movement. And they're moving not to any earthly palace. They are moving not to any earthly home. They're moving to where the Lord is found outside of those palaces, outside of those homes. And they are moving to him. It is not you who will build a home for me. It is I who will build a house for you. Note how remarkable this is now. This gathering of the nations represented by the kings. This gathering of the poor and the simple represented by the shepherds. And yet they come and they come by the light of a star and the song of angels to where he is found, outside of their dwellings, outside of their houses, outside of their palaces, outside of their temples. Note how remarkable this is and why. Because the Lord is reminding us that since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, we have always been homeless, wandering exiles. That is who we are. We have our physical dwellings. We have our houses of wood and stone. But our hearts wander restless. Our spirits wander restless. And we know, however settled we seem to be here on this earth, it is passing. And there is no eternal enduring home for us here. And so, The Lord is not born into one of our passing residences. He is born outside of that. So that we come to him, we who are exiles, move. The shepherds move from their familiar fields to this place. The magi move from their familiar settled lives to this distant place. And what is in common in the movement is him, born by the Virgin thrown upon her lap and waiting for them. And what is the sign that they're in the throne room of the king? They found the child with his mother. And when they get there, they stand outside of the confines of earthly dwellings because Christ has not come for us to take him home. He's come to bring us home with him. And it's this idea that runs through the preaching of Jesus who says to his apostles on the night before he dies, in my father's house, there's that word again, but not David's house, the father's house. In my father's house are many mansions, but an interesting expression. Many mansions inside a house. That must be some house. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. Dwelling places sufficient for all of your families, for all of you. And I go to prepare a place for you. It is not you who build a place for me, it is I who build a house. And note this beautiful symbolism, hidden in the circumstances of the Lord's birth. I haven't come for you to give me a place. It may well have been that had there been room in the inn, Jesus would have said to Mary, but we ain't staying here anyhow. You know, Joseph's doing his job and he's doing a fine job, but this is not where I'm going to be born. That's the other piece of the Christmas mystery. On the one hand, we're dealing with the closed doors of the human heart that has no room for the presence of the Lord. But on the other hand, it's not like the Lord didn't know that. On the other hand, it's not like that's a complete accident. Rather, he is pleased to arrive in time at the moment of the closed door and the overfull in. And why? to take away the possibility on some levels of being born in that narrow enclosure that we leave for him. He who stretched out the heavens like a bolt of tent maker's cloth is pleased to be born underneath them. He who is the true king doesn't come that we give him a place. Rather, he comes to give a place for us. You know, on the one hand, the irony of setting up a nativity set at home is we have, to, we have to give it a place. On the other hand, it's a reminder, however, this thing that we set up, which is about being outside of the places that the world designates, is a reminder that he doesn't come for us to put him in a place. He comes to bring us with him and to give us our true place. You now, this is why those beautiful words are in that familiar prayer, which we call the Hail Holy Queen. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb. Note, the prayer itself has that language: we are wandering in exile, seeking our true home. Not a passing home, but an eternal home. This is also the idea between the modern church's expression that we are a pilgrim people passing through this world of time on a journey and a movement toward an eternal homeland. After this, our exile. Show unto us. It is not I, it's not you who will build a house for me. It is I who will build a house for you. And now having said all of that, we come back to Our Lady. Because there's still the issue of the physical dwelling. And her name is Mary. This is the other now remarkable piece. Solomon built his temple out of wood and stone lined it with gold filled it with silver and its wealth was exceedingly great one of the reasons the babylonians set their eyes on conquering judah was they wanted to get their hands on the wealth of the temple and yet here now in galilee half pagan galilee in Nazareth, a relatively unimportant town, is a virgin. And this virgin, hidden from the world, this virgin, unknown by the world, of no importance, of no status in worldly terms, the daughter of her father and mother, little Mary, within her is adorned with the gold of virtue, much greater and more valuable than all of the gold in all of the temples of the world. And this one, this one has a life more splendidly ordered than the most exquisitely constructed building ever made by any earthly architect or engineer. This building, waiting, waiting for the one for whom she has been made. Think about that for a second. Our Lady is made to be the dwelling of the Lord, the worthy dwelling of the Lord. And consider what we know of how all the great cathedrals and temples of the world have been constructed over time. In fact, as the magnificent cathedral in Chartres in France was made, there's a remarkable detail up toward the ceiling of the cathedral, and it's this. The stone cutters who carved the exquisite adornment on the the columns kept carving even as they were up so high that no earthly eye could see what they were doing. No one standing in that church could lift his or her eyes up and see the work that they were doing. And they did it anyway. And it was just as, as exquisite at the top as at the bottom or at eye level because they weren't doing it for your eyes. They were doing it for God's eye. And when we understand the Immaculate Conception and what it means to say that she is full of grace, this is what we're talking about. That within her is a greatness and a goodness that as much as we try to strain our eyes to see the end point of it, we can't. Because it's not for our eyes. It's for the eye of that one who truly can see it and truly appreciate it. And if you consider all of the years required to build such an earthly temple of stone, here she is, conceived immaculately and growing sinlessly until that moment where time becomes full. And isn't it interesting that the fullness of time occurs at the moment when the house is ready, when she is ready, and the angel comes in the fullness of time because the temple is ready to open its doors and receive the Lord. It is not you who build a house for me. It is I who build a house for you. And here the eternal father builds a house for his son. I build a house for you. How absolutely wonderful the house that the Lord made for his son, who is also the true son of David. And here in Mary that promise comes true because here now is the heir who will sit on the throne forever and his kingdom will have no end. It is I who will build a house for you. And so the Lord comes, and he fills that house. And just as the glory of the Lord in ancient times filled the temple of Solomon, imagine how full the life of Mary is, the true temple the true palace, the true Ark of the Covenant, filled not with the signs of the presence of God, but filled with God. And imagine that. As vast and large as the temple of Solomon physically was, there's little Mary. And little Mary does what that temple never could do. She contains God how much vaster she is than that massive building of wood and stone. I will build a house for you. And we celebrate her today on this feast of her conception because we are also reminded that the Lord who comes to give us a home invites us as well to share his relation with his mother. And that we can likewise trust ourselves to her care. And in doing so, can abide ourselves in that house where the Lord takes his pleasure. How absolutely and exquisitely wonderful that really is. And you know what that says about the greatness of devotion to Mary. I will build a house for you. And here on this earth, we can have a taste of that dwelling prepared for us. How beautiful, how wonderful. As we contemplate these things and prepare ourselves for the great celebration of Christmas, it is very helpful just to be aware that there is a real act of building that is intrinsic to our marking of this holy time. But it is not the physical building that we do. It is rather that great work of building that the Lord himself has already undertaken and that he longs to continue in each and every one of us. And how beautiful that is. Because baptized into the life of Jesus Christ, we too had been Scrubs Curlean of sin. In most of our cases, that didn't really take um, in the sense that we, we ran out and fouled ourselves up again all over the place. But, but note then that intrinsic to this season is not merely a matter of you and I preparing ourselves as if we're King David saying, let me build the Lord a house. It is also, an ele- there's also an element of us needing to stop and say, Lord, Prepare within me a dwelling place for yourself. And note the difference. Prepare me to receive you. Not let me prepare myself to receive him. You know, there's still work that we need to do, but beneath our own work has to be that fundamental act of surrender, of control that says to the Lord, shape my life as you would have it be. Shape my heart as you would have it be. If indeed my life is to be a dwelling for you, only you can make it so. And so show me what I must do and help me do it. But by all means, you be the one who does the building. Because if I'm gonna build it, we're not gonna get very far. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.